Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Uh, Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Welcome to week three of Lake Middle School. Man, who would have ever thought we would make it this far? Look at us. Wow, proud of you guys. Uh, Today is the shortest uh, section of scripture I've ever preached on. So probably be the longest sermon. I'm sorry. Just be prepared. I think that's the way that these type of things break down. Um, We are continuing on in our series in Matthew, uh, continuing on even through the Sermon on the Mount. We've just got a few more weeks of this. And I don't know about you, but it's been really good for me and for my soul. And so um, I'm excited about this today. Uh, This reminded me that when I was a kid, I liked to collect rocks. Uh, which is not surprising to anyone, I think, that's talked to me for five minutes. They're like, yeah, you were the rock collection kid. It also probably won't surprise you that I still have this rock collection. Yeah, it's followed me across the country, moved thousands of miles, and is sitting somewhere, you know, collecting dust as a rock collection does. And uh, it actually all started one time because we went up to a gold mine in Georgia in a place called Dahlonega and uh, you did the whole tour and everything and then you got to pan for gold and so you went out to this little fake river and pan for gold and I knew in that moment uh, that that was going to be a day that forever changed my life because I knew I was going to be rich right I knew about gold and I was like all right got a plan for the future retirement plan for little fourth grade Josh right here. So I started panning feverishly and come up with two little like specks of gold. And so I marched into the gift store and they put it in a little vial for me so I could keep it. They had to keep it floating in water so I wouldn't lose them. That's how little gold it was, right? And I knew at that moment that maybe my life had not changed as much as I had wanted it to. But as I was walking around the gift store, I saw this chunk of gold that was sitting there and it was only like $3, which is about exactly what I had. And I knew in that moment my life was going to forever change because I was going to be rich. It didn't work out with the panning, but here I had found the greatest deal on gold of all time, uh, a $3 hunk the size of my tiny fist, right? And so I picked it up and I went and bought it. Turns out it was iron pyrite. Have you heard of this? Fool's gold, I believe some might colloquially call it. And even after finding out, finding out that, I was not dissuaded at all from becoming a millionaire because I knew now I had something I could trick my friends and family with into thinking that I was super rich. I realize now looking back, I had no plan to leverage this into actual wealth. I just thought having the appearance of a big chunk of gold would actually make me a super wealthy person. Turns out, not the case, but I'm doing all right. So, what we're going to do today, that's my terrible intro into the golden rule. I'm sorry about that. It has nothing to do with anything. Uh, Today we are going to, it's going to get worse. Get ready, guys. Uh, Today we are going to talk about the golden rule. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus never calls it the golden rule. I don't even know if that would interest him at all. Uh, In the 17th century, some Anglican priests were like, what should we call this? How about the golden rule? And so it's really stuck ever since. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to actually explore this idea. But since there's only one verse, since there's not a whole lot to talk about, and since this is a very PBS kind of passage, right? We're all like, yeah, we get that. We probably should do it, but then go out and live our lives probably not doing it. We're actually going to first ask ourselves the questions, what are the ways in which we are trying to replace this rule in our own lives, right? Because here's what's weird about this as a sermon even. Normally, you guys walk in and I'm like, hey, you should love Jesus. And you're like, ah, we don't really like Jesus. And I'm like, let me tell you why you should, right? Okay, you guys don't really talk like that, but you get it, right? Normally, as a part of like reading the words of Jesus, we hear something hard and we're like, Uh, I don't really want to do that, but I guess if I have to, then I will do that. This is kind of the exact opposite. I don't think anybody takes much convincing to really embrace the golden rule. 
In fact, you can find versions of this in almost every religion, every sort of moral teaching across the entire planet. And yet, for some reason, we don't live it. We don't really live this out. So what we're going to do first before we really, really dive into the golden rule is take a look at some of Josh's fool's gold golden rules. Or fool's golden rules, if you will, or uh, iron pyrite rules, but Ray said I couldn't do that because I'd have to keep explaining that. So we're going with fool's gold golden rules, all right? So these are variations. Uh, these are kind of Josh's modern takes on the golden rule and the way that we actually get it wrong. Here we go. First one. Do for you because others can take care of it themselves. Now, on the outset, this may seem selfish and ridiculous, but this is not how most of us live our, or is this not how most of us actually live our lives? I mean, this is definitely how we are born, right? If you've ever met, ever met a baby, they're incredibly selfish, right? They're not worrying about anybody else. That's how we come out, right? We're just worrying about ourselves. And then we go through life, and for the most part, we just take care of ourselves and let other people uh, take care of themselves as well. Even as adults, this is probably like a default that we have. You may have heard this as advice before. In the immortal words of Ron Swanson, he said, give a man a fish and feed him for a day. Don't teach a man to fish and feed yourself. He's a grown man and fishing's not that hard. And for whatever reason, I think Christians actually get tempted into this trap worse than other groups, right? We get tempted to believe that this is actually the golden rule. There's something about being a Christian in modern-day America that tempts us towards believing that this is more what Jesus was trying to tell us. Something about like a deeply embedded Protestant work ethic, some sort of misguided, uh, semi-heretical view that like being virtuous means that you get more things from God as if he is like this, you know, candy machine that you put in a quarter and then you get out a gumball. Something about following Jesus, and I think particularly the way that we get swept up in in America, actually sort of tricks us into believing that this is true. And I want you just to recognize how this is similar to what Jesus is saying, but in many ways it is the exact direct opposite. And so to take this in as a belief is actually to conflict with what Jesus is calling us to live here. Instead, if you have anything better than anyone else, it isn't because you are better than anyone else. It is because a God who is better than everyone else gave you that so that you can use it for other people. To believe that others can take care of themselves is to truly negate the fact that you can't take care of your own self. That in the very central thing, if you're a follower of Jesus, then at the very core, the very nugget of our faith comes down to this one simple idea that we need a God of the universe to step in and save us. So then to take all the good things that he's given us, to take all of our gifts, to take all that he has given us to, to use and to be a part of his kingdom, to take all of that and then to look at another human being and be like, hey man, you're going to have to figure it out for yourself, seems to me the height of pride. Seems to me a way of saying, hey man, I've got it all under control. I don't know why, but this morning when I was finishing up, I started thinking about my friend Landon. Uh, he was actually a, a guy that went to seminary with me. He was like a super funny, super ridiculously sarcastic guy that just loved soccer and Dr. Pepper, and those were all he wanted in life, you know? Uh, but uh, Landon actually had uh, this disease called cystic fibrosis and actually passed away while we were in seminary. So he was in the middle of seminary. Uh, it was just sort of 
I guess in some ways it was shocking and not shocking. The life expectancy is not very long. It's just a very, very difficult thing. And I realized uh, in thinking back on that, the reason I think this kind of popped up into my mind is because very often, especially those of us who have been given a lot of things in life, like let's say that you are a generally healthy person. Let's say you've got a good job. You've got good things going with you, for you. You had a good family growing up. And it's very easy to get very, very prideful about those things. Landon serves as a regular reminder that loving Jesus as much as he did, even doing the right things as much as he did, is not even a guarantee of sort of a longer and a better life. I mean, he had a good life. He knew it was short, so he's living it to the fullest. But at the same time, he was born in full knowledge of the God of the universe with something that permanently set him back from being able to live life to the fullest. Man, so to look at any other human being, it sort of calls in the question the idea that someone else should be able to achieve what you achieved just because you've achieved it, right? It calls into question the idea that we should all or have all started with the same set of things. That's not true. It's simply not true. We cannot say do for yourself and let others do for them. It's fool's gold. Instead, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Fool's gold, golden rule number two, do unto others as much as you can without feeling awkward. Now, this is the millennial fool's gold mantra right here, if there ever was one, right? Uh, I have a little bit of a confession to make. The other day, I was biking down the street, and uh, I saw this guy, and he was laying in a bush with uh, no shoes on. He was a, a guy that was uh, experiencing homelessness. And I looked at him, and I thought to myself, Man, somebody should get that guy some shoes. Okay, maybe I should get that guy some shoes. I'm like, can I just, can I give him my socks that I'm currently wearing? I was on my bike, biking back from the gym, and I was like, no, nobody wants your, like, janky old socks. And then I was like, well, maybe I could bike home and come back with some shoes and some socks for this guy. And I was like, well, what if it's not the right size? And I was like, he's asleep. I don't know if I want to wake him up. And all of this is happening, you know, in, like, the 10 seconds that it takes me to bike past this guy. And then I started just biking on home. I didn't know what else to do, right? And I realized as I was like finishing the bike ride home feeling sort of awkward and terrible about myself that I had allowed my awkwardness to stop me from caring for another human being, right? Just like my uncomfortability at the interaction that that was inevitably going to cause caused me to then withhold basic human kindness and decency from another fellow human being. And I wonder how often this is actually true of all of us, that we don't want to feel awkward we don't want to feel uncomfortable, and so we take our own comfortability at the expense of another human being. As always happens, the next, for, uh, the next morning at prayer time, Rihanna brought this verse from Matthew 25. This is on our Wednesday prayer time out here by the lake. She said in Matthew 25, 43, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I think, I worry that God is actually trying to tell me something about this golden rule and about my comfort zone and about social cues and social awareness. And I think what he's telling me is that all of this is a fool's gold. All of this is not true. 
that in fact the true golden rule is whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Uh, the next fool's gold, golden rule. Whatever you wish others to do for you, do it to yourself. Then maybe you can do it for others. This is one of the greatest conceits of all the fool's golds. This is something that no one wise will really tell you, but we love to tell ourselves. This golden, fool's gold, golden rule tells us one day when I'm rich, I'll be generous. One day when I have more time, I'll serve others. One day when I have my life together, I can finally help other people. Now, there's a tension here because there's an element of truth in this. You can't give away what you don't have, right? So at some level, this has to be partially true, but that does not mean that we should avoid giving away what we do have. And I want you to think about this in terms of habits and percentages. First, think about a habit that you have. Think about the ways in which habits are formed and set. Uh, think about the way in which, if you're living this way, so if you're thinking to yourself, we'll use money just because it's the easiest example. If you're thinking to yourself, one day when I am rich, I will become generous. You have to ask yourself the question, what habit am I forming while I am quote unquote not rich, which is probably a misnomer for most of us in this room anyway. But what habit am I forming while I am not rich that one day I am going to have to break when I certainly, suddenly hit this point, right? What would that even look like too? I mean, does anybody get a raise and they're like, oh, thank goodness, now I can finally give to charity. No, no, you think, good, I can buy the next car that I needed. I can buy the bigger house, I can buy the next thing. That's not how human beings work. We are habit-forming and habit-shaped people. Typically, the way that you have been acting is going to be the way that you are going to continue to act. Everything scales up, right? More money, more bills, more things. That's the way that it goes. So maybe instead of thinking of like a future date when it hits that you can all of a sudden give away your time, when all of a sudden you can give away your money, when all of a sudden you can give away your energy in serving other people, maybe instead start thinking in terms of percentages. Because if all of this is going to continue to scale up, then now setting a healthy percentage for yourself of how much of your time, how much of your energy, how much of your money that you actually want to give away could actually lock you into a healthy habit for the rest of your life. Something to consider. You don't have to wait for an abundance of them to be able to give them to someone else. And if you try waiting for that abundance, you might never do it. It's fool's gold. Instead, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Here's the final fool's gold golden rule. This one's going to require the most thought energy from all of us. It's interesting to me that Jesus did not say, treat others as they wish to be treated. Then, in fact, he said, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. So you have to ask yourselves, did Jesus misspeak here? Was he kind of confused about this? Like, did he not understand what it means to empathize and understand someone else's perspective? I don't know. As I mentioned earlier, the golden rule is basically embraced in every major religion throughout history in some form or another. Its first instance was in Egypt about 2,000 years before Christ. Plato actually said it. There are forms of it in Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, even secular humanism. So it's safe to say, and I want you to like really let this completely sink in, that the golden rule has been embraced by most every human being who has ever lived. Right? We're covering all the major world religions covering even secular thinking about this, even going back to Plato. Most human beings who have ever lived have embraced some form of the golden rule. 
There are a few notable exceptions. Neo-Nazism is not a fan of the golden rule. Big surprise there. They don't really like it. Nietzsche, Kant, George Bernard Shaw, not big fans. Now, the neo-Nazis objected to it because, well, neo-Nazis. That's actually what it says on the Wikipedia page. They're like, you know, they're neo-Nazis. They're not a big fan. Uh, but the rest get hung up on this simple idea that I think is probably a barrier to most of us fully embracing this golden rule in our time and age. The simple idea that you may not ever know what someone else is thinking or desiring. In fact, George Bernard Shaw wrote, do not do unto others as you would do, or you would, that they should do unto you. Their tastes may not be the same. Which now that I think about it, seems like a very popular opinion today. Right? We would say to someone else, hey, don't treat me like you want to be treated. Treat me like I want to be treated. You don't know how anyone else can feel. You don't know how, else, how anybody else really wants to be treated. Doesn't that idea kind of pop in your head? Like, isn't it kind of there? Doesn't it, don't you have like a natural sort of like weird reaction when I say like, don't treat other people as they want to be treated. Treat them as you want to be treated. Like, there's like a red flag that goes up. And when that red flag pops up, you should be really, really just conscious of it. Especially in a time when you pop up this new idea that is in direct confrontation with how human beings have lived and operated with each other throughout all of history, much less what Jesus Christ actually tells you that you should believe and do. He has an understanding of history. He has an understanding of all time. He didn't misspeak. He didn't make an accident here. Now I know, we also believe plenty of things that the rest of humanity didn't believe. We believe that the earth revolves around the sun, heliocentrism, if you will. We believe that equality across racial boundaries is a good thing. Much of humanity does not believe that. But that doesn't mean that what is new is always right. What I'm saying is, most of humanity has said to you, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And over the past 100 years, we've come to the conclusion that you should not do unto others as you would have them do unto you because they may not like the same things as you. I know at some level I'm splitting hairs here. I get that. I mean, at its extreme end, what I should do is buy everyone a Tobo duffel bag for Christmas because that's what I want, right? So I should do unto others as I would want done to me, and Tobo duffel bag is what I want done to me, right? That's absurd. I'm not arguing for ignorance of other people's tastes. I'm not arguing for you just to be like this, you know, terrible, horrible person to all of your friends who don't even care about anyone's cultural background, doesn't care about anybody else's desires in life. But here's why I think this is important, and I know this is a dumb example, but imagine there's like a woman walking down the street and she spills her papers that she's carrying them. Now the golden rule says, help her pick these up because that's what I would want, right? But this fool's gold, golden rule tells me, well, I don't know if I should help her, right? I don't want to embarrass her. I'm not sure what she would really want me to do in this situation. Would she think that I'm like trying to hit on her? Or would she think that I'm walking up like, I'm a strong man, you're a lowly woman. Let me help you pick up your papers because you can't do it, right? I was also wearing a hoodie. Maybe she's thinking like I'm gonna come and rob her or something like that. These are all the things that try to sort of sneak in and get in between me and another human being while I'm actually trying to just do what I know would actually help this other human being. It's absurd and it's paralyzing. And the truth is that the people that help the most don't seem to be having these thoughts, right? Like think about the people who are true helpers in your life. The people who really, really, really just go out of their way to help and love and serve other people. 
Are they the type of people that are getting hung up in this kind of stuff? Are they the type of people that are completely aware at all times how everyone else might think or feel about what they are doing? Are they people who just act in love and kindness? Because I believe that true human kindness and true human love actually comes from being able to see the same humanity in yourself and in someone else. And so you connect on that and sure, you do the work of trying to understand, you do the work of trying to be understood because that's what you would want out of someone else. But then you treat them as best as you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can imagine that they want to be treated. Now, here's why this is important. All of that is kind of hypothetical up until this point. This is especially important when our friends or our neighbors are in dire straits. For instance, when your friend wants you to affirm their new relationship. In that moment, what they want is you to actually say, hey, this is a good thing. I'm glad you're with that person. It's good and it's healthy and it's beautiful for you. But what you probably wish that they would do for you if the situation was flipped is that they would tell you the truth. That, hey, that guy's not good for you. That girl is not a good fit. That's what you would want, right? That's what what you would want your friend to do for you. You may even be wrong, but again, wouldn't you want to know if your friend thought that about your relationship? What your friend wants when they're telling you a story is to agree that the hero, they are the hero of that story and everyone else in the story is a villain. But wouldn't you probably wish that when you're telling a story like that, that someone would actually tell you sometimes that you're the villain, you're the bad guy, you were actually wrong in that story? And I think at the heart of this, At the end of the day, if you were asking us, especially when we were in a moment where we were doing something wrong or where we were struggling with something, what we would sort of want or ask or even require of our friendships is that they would just tell us that we're right. That's not what we really need, is it? More broadly, I think... Uh, By and large, what we are asking one another to do as a society is just generally affirm what each each other wish to do, right? We want each other just to be behind each other, right? We want everyone to agree with us. There's nothing to feel bad for. There's no sort of universal right or wrong. You can't judge the way another person acts. You can't judge the way another person uh, decides to live their life. When in reality, wouldn't you want someone to tell you if you were doing something harmful? Wouldn't you want someone to challenge your idea of right and wrong every once in a while? I know it's uncomfortable, but don't you know that you need that? Wouldn't you want a friend who is willing to speak up and challenge? But when we answer no to those questions, it keeps us locked in these cycles of sin. It keeps us locked in these cycles of being disconnected from true, intimate relationships with people around us. It keeps us locked in a cycle of ultimately living a half-human existence where we are all each other's biggest cheerleader, but no one is changing and growing. It's fool's gold. Instead, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. 
All right, <clears throat> done with the fool's golden golden rules, fool's gold gold golden rules, and uh, I'm sorry, the sermon ended up going sideways and totally harsh, uh, but that's where we are. So now let's actually take a look at the golden rule, which actually can change this world. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's start with that little bit at the end. Jesus makes a statement like this a few other times, most notably, uh, probably in Matthew 22 when he says this. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This whatever you wish others would do to you and also love your neighbor as yourself seem pretty like connected and consistent with each other. And Jesus actually ties both of them together and ties them to the law and the prophets, which is kind of Jesus' way of saying the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament's broken down into a few different sections. The law would have been the first five books of the Old Testament. The prophets would have been all the people that were prophesying, all the, the Hezekiahs and Zechariahs and all of those kind of cool names, right? So all of of that Jesus is saying is wrapped up into this singular idea to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And in our passage today, he says this golden rule is the law and the prophets. Here in Matthew 22, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6 when he says, love the Lord your God. And he's quoting Leviticus 19 when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So even in this time, Jesus is saying, hey, I am not doing anything different to the Old Testament. I am not changing anything. I am actually fulfilling these scriptures right here in front of you. He's saying everything that makes up the Old Testament can be summarized in this principle, that basically if you can follow this, you will be following the rest of Scripture, which is good to make note of, right? When you're faced with some sort of WWJD kind of question, right, you can actually use this as a starting point. Here it is, the center of it all. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So now we have to ask the question, where are we? We've seen that this is the center of God's teaching to us. We've seen that many of our other ideas are bankrupt. And we should probably at some level just recognize that this is a good idea. But what do we do with it? That's the end of the day question, right? If we're in a place where we're like, yes, that's a good idea, but I don't always live that way. What do we do with it? Do we just try harder, maybe? Do we try reading a new book, perhaps? Maybe getting a new set of bracelets. I don't really know if that works out. No, the real problem is one of motivation. What's standing between me and doing this is not knowledge, it's desire. I don't really want to most of the time. My heart does not desire it. So if our heart is, a, is it the problem, perhaps, maybe our heart is also the solution. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and it may seem stupid or obvious to you. If so, I'm sorry. Uh, but we don't, don't we normally do what we desire most of the time? Like, don't we only do what we want to do? Now, I know you may say, like, no, I go to work, and I don't want to do that. Or no, you know, like, I clean up, you know, my kid's vomit or something, and I don't want to do that, right? But at the end of the day, isn't it just like an extended motivation? Like, you go to work so that you can get money and live the life that you want. 
Go to work so that you can, you know, gain whatever it is that comes from your particular field of work. Uh, you work out, not because you want to do it in that moment, but because you want to be healthy. Or maybe you just don't want to be bored. You clean up your kid's vomit because at one point you told yourself you desired these children and now you have them and you have to clean up after them, right? So at the end of the day, it comes back to some sort of form of desire. And like I said, it may be obtuse or it may be obvious, but it's interesting just to think about, if you were to take a look at your life, like aren't you sort of doing what you most desire in the moment? That's the problem with like a really, really strict diet, right? It's easy to desire that when it's like 9 a.m. and you're like standing on a scale and you're like, cool, I'm gonna do this. It's really hard to desire that when someone hands you a brownie at 9 p.m., right? At the end of the day, we only do what we want to do. So if we wanna fix this, if we wanna actually live in line with the golden rule, we have to ask ourselves, how do we change what we want? How do we change our desire? A heart problem requires a heart solution. So let's look to the one who actually is love, who's actually king of the heart for the solution. And here are the words of God that are actually filtered through the one who was so loved by God, he called himself the beloved of God. The Apostle John, he writes this in 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another. For God, love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, and anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through the, him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now I know I just said the word love like 13 times. And I know there's a lot of like kind of like circular language in there, but I hope that you see sort of the main thrust of this entire thing is that someone who is loved by God is then able to love someone else. That there is a direct correlation between God loving you and you actually loving others. The two should be connected. And so if you're having trouble actually putting this golden rule into action, if you're having trouble loving someone else and desiring their good enough to actually do unto them as you would have them do to you, it's probably, possibly from a result of not knowing exactly how much you are loved by God. If what John is saying is true here, then a loved person is also a loving person. Or put it another way, a person who is keenly aware of the love of God, or perhaps even a person who is defined by the love of God, is a person who is overflowing with that love for others. And so if you're trying to fix your desires, you're trying to change the way that you might feel towards another human being, the first place that you have to look is how much am I actually understanding and appreciating and experiencing the love of God? That love that would cause a God to create you and love you in spite of your failures. 
That love that would cause that God to love you in spite of knowing every good reason not to. That love that would make a God fight for you even when you are fighting against him. That love that would make a God send his only son into the world so that we might be able to live because of and through him. And then and only then can you truly, truly love others because you know you have been loved by so much more, or you have been loved so much more. So if you're looking for a place to start, if you're looking for a way to revolutionize your life around this golden rule, don't start with your own effort. Don't start with all your strategies and your schemes. Start in a time of actually understanding and embracing the love of God. I hope that you're able to do it even in this time as we gather together and sing. I hope that you're able to experience the love of God as we take communion. I hope that you're able to celebrate the Sabbath today by spending extra time with God in the word and prayer and trying to wrap your mind around how much he loves you. And I believe that God is kind, that he's a good father, that gives good gifts to his children who would ask of him. So even now in this time and in this space, if you want to experience the love of God more than you have before, all you have to do is ask. Let's do that together right now as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. God, we thank you that you love us in spite of us, God. We thank you that you love us even more than we love ourselves, God. We thank you that you love us enough to send your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. God, we pray that you might give us a glimpse into the way in which you love us and give us a passion and a heart for being able to love those around us, God. We pray that you would make us a people capable of doing whatever we wish would be done to us for two other people, God. That you would give us that care, that concern, that desire, that burning passion in our hearts so that we might live it out for you. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.